0: Maggie Doyne is a real life superhero. She will inspire you to do so much more than you ever thought that you could do, should do, would do just by getting out and exploring the world. And she's CNN's hero of the year and probably by like a mile. But if we could just take a small percentage of what Maggie Doyne has done in her life and apply it to how we can explore the world or our backyard to find pursuits that we can give to, volunteering, nonprofits, philanthropic efforts that we can put our mind to, we can unlock the power of giving in our own lives. And as we know, giving perhaps is the best part of living. And as the mom of more than 50 children in a mountain village in Nepal and a small school that has now grown into a full-blown educational family and complex and a thriving nonprofit, Maggie will teach you how to search for doing more. And I think the time we spend together will inspire you to open up your mind about what you can give to this world, the hallmark of any sort of happy retiree. Let's get started. Maggie, where are you live from as we're we're talking? Are you in Nepal right now or where are you?
1: No, so I just got to LA. I've been doing um, my book tour on the West Coast. I just came from Seattle and then Portland.
0: Between the Mountain and the Sky is your latest book.
1: That's it, it's right here, here it is. Let
0: me see a copy. <laughs> Let me see the cover. Between the Mountain and the Sky. You know, you're uh, so. I guess you've been doing it for a little bit. How
1: fun is that?
0: Are you having fun doing it?
1: You know, it's, you've done this before. It's, uh um, <laughs> virtually <laughs> it's fun. It's, uh, vulnerably terrifying. <laughs> it's, uh, exciting. It's been really, uh, just miraculous to see something that you work for and, think about and talk about for so many years than exist in this other form of writing and art. And, um, the most powerful moment for me so far has been handing the book to my children.
0: Can we start Wait, hold on, before we start with that, I want to go to, I've got a seven question uh, quick. I've, I've noticed over the years that a lot of shows and podcasts and radio, they do these lightning round things at the end. They're always doing it at the end. And it's like they have this long, winding conversation, and then you get all these really cool personal questions.
1: Mm-hmm. I think
0: it should be done at the beginning. So I'm, I'm doing it the opposite. So I'm going to do lightning round. This is a way we get to, you get to know our audience gets to know you. So Maggie, right, just right out of the gate. And by the way, I feel like we're we're talking like we know each other that we've just met in the last you know minute and a half. <laughs> but so we don't know anything about Maggie. We know all that you've done. You're you're one of the world's most I don't know. Impressive, magical. You, you're so good. that You make everybody feel so bad. By the way, we're gonna we're gonna tackle that because I feel like we should all be doing more like Maggie. But let, I'm gonna start with this favorite song
1: to oh. sing. To sing. To sing. Yeah. I'm definitely in canto right now. <laughs> a in Is in that, canto. In uh... canto
0: is that let me who is that is that uh
1: well it's the latest disney everyone who has the toddler right now will understand that this is the latest disney movie oh we did have that
0: on the other day and my kids my youngest is six so we still have disney going on but yeah in is the new disney it's on i don't know where i, I guess disney plus right it's
1: yeah. everywhere actually their album in the first like week that it came out surpassed every song ever made <laughs> or something
0: <laughs> if you're not singing in canta, you should be okay next favorite core pursuit which we uh, refer to core pursuit hobby is basically a hobby on steroids and, and it, it really could be anything that is not let's see, not work though except for work
1: mm. i'm still gonna go with writing
0: okay Oh, you love it. You love writing that much.
1: You I do journal love it. and I write and it's how I process and, you know, how I remember things.
0: Okay. Favorite instrument?
1: Mm.
0: <laughs> Either to listen to or to play?
1: My daughter on the drums. Oh, yeah? Cool. Okay. Okay. Uh,
0: which daughter? Don't you have a lot of daughters?
1: I have a lot. I have a lot. Uh, this is <laughs> so our our biological daughter <clears throat> ruby pl- is learning how to play drums right now and it's really fun
0: how old is ruby
1: she's four
0: she's four okay okay yeah um, that's so she you've got her on doing some she's she's out there banging oh some yeah sort of she's out set. there yeah.
1: rocking it <laughs> that's
0: awesome all right how about your favorite uh favorite i would i would ask you your favorite book of yours but this is your first book so your favorite mm-hmm. other book besides your own book
1: uh, Cheryl Strayed, Tiny Beautiful Things.
0: Tiny Beautiful Things. Favorite uh, favorite athlete or team or like, I don't know, Tom Brady, Michael Jordan or team or any sport?
1: The U.S. Women's Soccer Team all the way.
0: Boom. Done. <laughs> Done. I love that.
1: <laughs> that's easy.
0: <laughs> that's a good one.
1: No, That's a good one. Uh, just-
0: favorite place you... Favorite place you've ever traveled in Michigan?
1: Michigan?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: I've never been to Michigan.
0: That's why I asked the question. Okay. You've never been to Michigan. Okay. (laughs) All right. Favorite place in the United States. (laughs) Nobody ever goes to Michigan. People kind of like, you're a world traveler. Michigan's like, oh, why would you go to Michigan? Well, it's like kind of an underrated state. So that's why I always ask the question. It's really beautiful, but most people think of it as like, Detroit and like cold, and it's really actually very nice and beautiful. How about yeah. US? Favorite US I, spot?
1: I'm from New Jersey. I'm a Jersey girl, born and raised through and through uh, New Jersey.
0: Jersey. And then how about in the world, though? Favorite place in the world? The
1: Nepal. Globe?
0: Nepal. Easy. Okay. <laughs> okay. I, I've never been, but I know we're going to be talking about Nepal. And that's, that's it. Cool. Seven questions with uh, Maggie, and I feel like I know you a little bit better.
1: Mm, I like that.
0: See, now we can start. Uh, Now we can dig into the world that you've created. Um, So, so you did a gap year, and then you ended up launching a nonprofit, and then and now you essentially adopted fifty, I think fifty two children. Can you in the in Nepal? Can you just take us through that incredible human story as we try to help? So, by the way, retire sooner podcast. We have this uh, our listener base. Even though there is a money angle to the show. And that's maybe a third of what we talk about and try to figure out a way to get financially so they point can't so you can travel whenever you want and you can mm, get, get to a point where you get to a war a, a, a profession that you do love because a lot of people aren't able to do that because they have to kind of make money to survive and live in the world. Um, but so that is kind of our overarching angle. and One of the, the really important pieces of the equation here for people that retire early is they have to have. Uh, some sort of purpose after they stop really working. And that's hard for a lot of people. And you have you have done this in such an amazing form. That's why we wanted to talk to you. So tell us this story just a little bit about how you ended up in Nepal and then how you ended up uh, with the uh, where you are today.
1: Yeah, so I grew up in New Jersey in the suburbs, um, a small, beautiful, quaint little town. I had a mom and a dad and two sisters and lived on a cul-de-sac, went to New Jersey public schools, I, at the very last moment, was like, how am I supposed to go to college? I don't know what I want to do. I don't know what I want to be. I don't know my purpose. Um, And just kind of started to question that narrative of, like, going to college equaling finding your destiny and your the path to success. I was just like, I want to kind of know more about myself first. I still wanted and intended to go to college. Um, but that was kind of the first step of just stepping off that beaten track and being like, Whoa, wait, first I want to like go travel. So I I go to travel. Prior to
0: school. Had you already gotten into school by the way?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, i would gotten into great colleges, great universities. Mm-hmm. I had lots of options, but I was just like, before I go spend, you know, it's like hundreds of thousands of dollars now. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know what I want to study yet. We kind of do college in reverse, in my opinion. Hmm. Like, I think we should intern and apprentice and travel and find ourselves and figure out what makes us excited and some people really do know that i think they're 17 18 years old and they know they want to go pre med or exactly what they want to study but a lot of us you know when you're 17 you just don't know you know maggie i
0: i have thought i've tried to articulate that too as the thought around the whole process in the united states of getting into college is uh we under i guess to some extent we don't underestimate it but we do end up by chance. So you apply to like ten schools, and you end up getting in wherever, and then that has such a massive life trajectory. It it just puts you on a path. It might be if you you end up moving somewhere, or you end up in a different region of the United States. You end up that school because you got into it. You end up in some sort of study. You're right. right. It's almost it's such a gr- it's such a heavy important decision to just randomly choose out of a hat when you're 17 18 you have totally clues around the world you're right it's i always think that we we make such a, a massive decision really so uninformed because we're just so young you're right it almost should be in reverse
1: yeah and also then you graduate and maybe you've figured it out on, along the way but you've got a quarter to a half a million dollars of debts yeah. And, and that, in a way, like this is a financial podcast, so we can talk about that. It it kind of like puts you again in this pressure cooker. So you're in this pressure cooker of like the right SAT scores. And again, I'm a product of privilege. So the right SAT scores and the right classes and the right resume and the right. You know, process to get into the best school with the best name and then maybe you get there and then you accrue all the debt and then you better get the best job so that you can be in the best this so that you can pay off the debt. So then you finally can do what you want to do. Anyway, I was just like, I started to question that, which was really lucky of me to like, be like, wait a second, I'm going to travel. But I didn't travel to go like change the world or <laughs> like do anything good or special. I just traveled travel for the sake of fun. And this one time in my life where I could have a year to explore that part of me. So the first semester was just like surfing and scuba diving and learning how to meditate with Buddhist monks and organic farming and, you know, cultural immersive type of things. And then that was that for the second.
0: So what what area though? So when you did this plan to go, you, you had already planned to go away for an entire year. Mm-hmm. And was it all in, where were the places you were going to go? Or is it one place?
1: So the initial trip was one of those like 18 to 19 year old kids with backpacks, you know, going mm-hmm. on a semester abroad. And I went to the South Pacific. Okay. And then the second part of that semester, I had to choose an internship and a friend and I chose an internship in Northeastern India.
0: Okay. So you went south. Where in the South Pacific did you go first?
1: Fiji, Australia, and New Zealand.
0: Amazing. Okay. It was
1: amazing. I mean, once in a lifetime trip, for sure. It opened up my eyes. It made me come alive. It just got me really passionate about learning. And, you know, when you're a kid from New Jersey, that's all you know. (laughs) This is also before the time of you know, smartphones. It's before it it was, it was a different time in that sense too. I think kids of today are, are, have a lot more exposure, but I was from New Jersey. All I knew was my town and that I had to go to college. So (laughs) then I ended up. So
0: you did, you did South Pacific and then you went to India.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I end up in Northeastern India and I end up like we were working in a cafe, But the cafe indirectly served children and then I got to know these children and it ended up that I had kind of landed in a Nepali refugee community and was working as part of this um, organization. And I start to kind of follow the news and the events and meet Nepali people and The Nepali refugee and migrant community are sleeping under tarps, under pieces of plastic by the side of the road. They're doing menial labor. They're, you know, at the very best, working to survive. At the very worst, getting into human trafficking situations and being exploited. And, you know, migrants, it's, it's the bottom billion of the world, like just struggling to survive. And I started to kind of question, where are these folks coming from? Like, why are they leaving Nepal? I could, at the time, I couldn't have even put Nepal on a map. And then I started to meet Nepali friends my age, who had escaped, you know, civil war and their rural Himalayan villages to try to make a life in India and try to try to find education and safety and. So that's kind of my entryway to Nepal. I I made friends, I I met a friend Sunita who was my age and we were like, let's go to Nepal, let's go try to find your village.
0: Mm. Oh, her village, go to find her Mm -hmm. village. And sure. you, at the time, so you were still in your teens. You Were you even 20 yeah, at the I'm time? Yeah,
1: I'm 18 now. I'm 18. <laughs> Gee, holy
0: cow. So you're 18 and you've kind of ripped off the bandaid as far as being an explorer. So I think like the, the title of your life is like explore or maybe the lesson that we're already starting to look here is that. You don't know what you want. You can't. You you maybe don't even know your purpose until you explore and you you find your. You, it finds you. You find it, and that's kind of what what happens here is that you're you're find you're exploring, and then it's presenting itself to you, right? And mm-hmm. you go and find the, So so then, what happens next?
1: So we go to Nepal. We trek for. Three or four days we find my friend Sunita's village. We realized that her home had been converted into Maoist rebel base camp.
0: Oh, scary, it's yeah.
1: Stunningly beautiful. I mean, mm. there was an armistice at the time the border had opened up. There were it was a time of peace. It was a good time oh, It was
0: be- Okay, it was peaceful.
1: It was it was pretty peaceful. Um, you know, there were these buying sanctions for looking for power. But as you know, civil war, violence disproportionately affects women and children schools were shut down homes had been taken over families had separated and dissipated and um it was seeing the beauty of the people the resilience of the people but the struggle it was just uh, th- there there was a struggle and this raw effects of what had happened That and this war that had ravaged through the country and i was walking across a dry riverbed <clears throat> Taking in stories, taking in hunger, taking in children being cold and like just the human suffering of an impoverished war-torn nation, and overwhelmed by it all, and I end up walking across a dry riverbed where I saw children breaking rocks to survive, to live.:
0: B- basically, yeah. this is a cor- this is the equivalent of a quarry there.
1: Yeah, yeah just this dry riverbed quarry and they were picking up rocks and carrying them on their heads and then sitting by the riverside, the dry riverbed, just breaking them into hundreds of pieces. And they were breaking the rocks to sell in these huge body-sized bags, bigger than them, as gravel for construction sites. And children three and four and seven and eight and 10 years old were breaking rocks um, and selling them for a dollar a day. And I just started to like ask a lot of questions. And I had this moment where I was just like, what have we done as a human family? Like, I felt so betrayed, I felt so sad, I felt hopeless. It was just like, so wrong. Mm. Why do we live in a world and, like this? Like why? And these
0: are, why? and who, who even pays, if you think about, is. This is where you hear about, you know, so much of the world lives on a dollar a day or less than a dollar a day. This is where, this is what you experience is this is like upfront and personal seeing these little kids live on essentially nothing. Who, who are they, is it almost like a, uh, inter, almost internment or who's even paying them the dollar of the day? Like, how do they end up getting stuck doing that or is that their only option?
1: I think it's just an easy, option and there were roads road construction was happening construction was happening and you know you take away child labor and then you take away the means to survive right so Mm -hmm. it's not a it's not a simple it's not a simple solution in that sense like there's a lot of complexities to child labor domestic servitude being a child porter um Being an orphan, you know, essentially Nepal was left with 1 million orphan children after the war. And, and also it's a landlocked nation, entirely Himalayan. Um, There's all these other, you know, struggles as in addition to, to a war, it was an impoverished country.
0: So at that point, then you decide to invest the money that you do, the, the little bit of money that you do have. So you, you'd probably, I don't know, summer work or whatever.
1: Babysitting. <laughs> you, you got, babysitting what do yeah. girls in New Jersey do on a cul-de-sac? <laughs>
0: <laughs> so basically you had a little bit of babysitting money still available. And that's when you decided to tell us what you did with that.
1: I was like, okay, I don't want to live in a world where children are breaking rocks. I want to walk across this riverbed one day and I I don't want to see a single child breaking rocks. I knew that the solution was more complicated than just backpacks and uniforms and sending kids to school. So I decided I was going to move to Nepal and work on this issue and I asked my parents to wire transfer me my life savings of $5,000. It was babysitting money. And um, I bought a piece of land with the local community. That was really essential. I knew that we had to go about this with the local people as well. And they were amazing. I started to make friends and get to understand the local people. My co-founder's name is Tope. He's an orphan himself, and he wanted to come back from the migrant um being a migrant in in India as well. So we start like putting our heads together and dreaming and we ultimately um, decide that we're going to build a home and we're going to enroll children into school and that this would help the situation. (laughs) But this is still
0: is just a little, you're like, it's still a kid. You're at 18. You were still basically a kid. Yeah. Your thought was let's, let's for, X amount, you're going to buy some land. And then are you able to build the school all with the same 5,000 and build, it every, was everything 5,000 or how, or, or is this so you almost build it from the, what you found from the land? Tell us, how did you build it?
1: So initially all we have is that 5,000. We realized that in addition to just putting kids like child laborers into school and helping them, there were also children that didn't have food, that didn't have access to clean water, that didn't have family or a safe place to sleep at night. So we were like, well, we also need this home element in addition to putting kids into school and and keeping them in their community. So the home um, idea that we established, it only got us to like the holes in the ground and the initial Mm. sketches of what we wanted to build. And then I had to go back to New Jersey and babysit.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. So you came all the way home and saved up more babysitting money.
1: Mm -hmm. And did started doing garage sales, cupcake sales, like the whole thing. I was just trying to save up money and send it over to build the shell of the home. And then the local newspaper covered the story. And um, my local town in Mendham, New Jersey, started to help. People came together. And I went back with enough money to finish up this beautiful home. And long story short, as you know, I became the mother to... 50 plus children over time. We started mm-hmm. with two and then three and then five and then seven and then nine. And then we were enrolling children into school. We ultimately built our own school there nestled into the foothills of the Himalayas and that served. Is it,
0: is it, is it Copilla Valley? How do I say that?
1: Copilla Valley. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And uh, so wait, you how long were you back in the US before you went back? Did Probably for four,
1: four or five months in order to finish off the home and have enough seed money to get back and uh, start the organization and in that process, I was babysitting for entrepreneurs and you know different People who helped me write a business plan. I started going to the library and reading about the development sector, the nonprofit sector. I wanted to understand why it had failed. Like, why has, have development efforts failed or have they? Like, why are orphanages these dark, terrible, dismal places? How do we improve on a model for education? So I, I wanted to kind of like study the issue in a way and go into it with a better understanding so that I was kind of like young and then just, oh, we can do better than this. Come on. Like let's create a home that's bright yellow and filled with music and joy and Nepali aunties and uncles. And let's create a school that's nature-based and, you know, beautiful and progressive. And, and the time, at that time, you know, I was just so young and so maybe naive. I, I saw things very clearly <laughs> well just so
0: optimistic too when, when you don't when you've never even seen any we, sometimes it really helps to have kind of a blind optimism it's like well of course we can do this we can make this amazing we can make it beautiful we'll, we'll have great classes well it'll be comfortable it'll be safe right and that's just what you were thinking that right mm-hmm. but it did come to fruition it so works. over the years more and more kids came in how many years did you spend there
1: so I've been living in Nepal for 17 years. I'm 35 now and I've built a life there. I'm Oh, loving. you've stayed there the
0: whole time. So you don't come back and forth a whole lot to the United States.
1: Well, I have to come back occasionally. I'm the CEO of our foundation. It's called Blink Now. Um, and I've definitely come back and forth. But for the most part, I've lived there on the ground mm-hmm. and worked with the local people. We've got a team of 110 locals and we're a team of social workers and teachers. We run a women's center. We run a health and medical clinic. We run a sustainability program where we grow our own food and um, ant- raise animals. We have a school, we have an after-school program. It's The whole essence of Blink Now is that we look to address how a, ch- a child can thrive and grow in community and how we serve orphans, victims of war, impoverished, vulnerable children and flip the trajectory of their lives by having access to opportunity and education and healthcare and essentially basic human needs and rights.
0: And how, but so with, through Blink Now or the, the Blink Now Foundation and through the, the, the home that you've built, uh, or the whole, the, let's say the complex. I guess at this point, how many kids have come through? How many children have you? Well,
1: thousands. I mean, we our school now has uh, about five hundred kids. We've got one hundred and sixty six students in college. We've supported, um, gosh, thousands of migrant families. There's not a single child left on the riverbed breaking rocks.
0: Mm, which holy power, yeah, powerful amazing. story. And do you love so? So this this started out as this this kind of nascent idea. We'll build a a fun school. It'll be nice to really <laughs> an, a really a massive organization, a hundred uh, over a hundred people on your all, all. Is this all funded through Blink? Now,
1: yeah. So we have a nonprofit so nonprofit that okay. funds our NGO based in Nepal. Uh,
0: and then you though, and you're there most of the time. I guess to you it is home like you've grown to love nepal and you live in the, the mountains and it is a beautiful place
1: and i was just warmly and humbly embraced by the people and the local community and that was really essential as well and yeah i raised some um, children there and we there's other house parents now in addition to just me obviously but it's been it's been an incredible journey and it's worked like you can take a kid breaking rocks or begging at a bus station or an orphan who's lost their entire family and turn them into a superstar and, you know, an engineer, an architect, a teacher, a social worker, like a contributing amazing member of society. And that gives me so much hope because I think that the world will change when children have a childhood and are loved and nurtured and cared for and have a chance to have an opportunity at an education and it it's been incredible just and such a gift to watch that and be so passionate about it and believe in it and work towards a world that's possible like it's possible for us to do these things
0: so let's talk about hima
1: so um she was the very first rock breaker who i met and she was standing on the riverbed she was a rock breaker and uh you know she was kind of like going through the garbage and wearing this tattered orange dress and she just smiled at me and said namaste didi and in that moment i was like whoa i can't do anything about this huge massive problem and you know we've got 152 million child laborers 150 million orphans in the world like I can't do anything about that, but maybe I could do something for Hema. And Hema was the first girl we put into school, and watching her life transform. She's now in college. <laughs> she's amazing. Where um, do
0: these kids go to college? Do they go to college there in in Asia, or do they? they where do they? They're there.
1: Okay. Yes. So they go to college regionally in Kathmandu, which is the capital, where there's more universities. I have a student at Notre Dame. We have students. Uh, in North America, in Europe as well. But for the most part, our students are staying within Nepal, continuing their education um, and doing remarkable things.
0: How long did it take to learn? Is it Nepali as the language or yeah, I speak- how long did it take to learn that?
1: It took probably a, a a a couple years, but full immersion, like fully being there and not even having the option to speak English. Yeah, <laughs> so that really helped. Um, and our team is all Nepali we have a Nepal based board. so i I learned by survival. and uh, how
0: many Americans are helping you? And this leads me to my question of how do we find as Americans? how do we find something that it's even scratches the surface of, of what you did? So are there, w- what is a population of Americans now that helps you?
2: Well, we
1: have donors from all and supporters from all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and in our donor database, I think we've got like 6,000 active people who are contributing to this Okay. Um and I think my message is like, oh, you don't actually have to move 8,000 miles away and adopt 54 children. You like there's so much unfortunately to be done. I believe that education is the world's greatest equalizer and one of the most game-changing forces that there is in helping our human family wherever they are. Um and I also think there's something to be done everywhere in every community. So I just encourage people to get involved, take that step. Yeah. Supporting Blink Now is amazing. um, But just finding something philanthropic, finding something to sink your teeth into, to dig into an issue that you feel really passionate about is also equally important and gives us that sense of purpose and meaning and legacy and greater good for our world.
0: You know, I, the I, I one of the guests we've had here on retire sooner was uh, mitch or it was mitch album who wrote Tuesdays with Maury. i don't know if you remember that book of um,
1: course everybody knows that book
0: yeah it sold like 18 19 million co- copies already so hopefully you between the mountain and the sky gets close to that i mm-hmm. hope it does but so but, you know and the theme of that is is really the this powerful story of a man dying who effectively continued to give until his last day. Mm -hmm. And the theme of that is that give the, the best part of the, the best part about living is giving and that giving is living. And the number one trade or core pursuit of happy retirees, and I study the difference between happy and unhappy and the traits and the habits and the activities is volunteering. It's the number one, it's the number one
1: yeah. pursuit of
0: the, of the happy camp. Uh, so it is cool. It, it is this, it is because of that giving that we feel so wonderful and the, 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 um, the purpose that it gives us. Um, but I think the challenge, and I'll ask you kind of in another way. And again, and you've already, you've already kind of covered this a little bit is that you know, the, the thought of a 55-year-old American uprooting and doing something is bold and is almost extreme of, of what you did. You're an extreme example of being able to help so many people in a foreign land, 8,000 miles away. That is almost impossible for an American that's 55 who's lived in Jersey all their life to do. So how do you find something that even is remotely is impactful uh, on both on the population you're trying to help and you personally uh, to give you purpose. How do you do? You, how do you think somebody can find that today?
1: Well, I mean, there's incredible volunteer opportunities, and I would argue that a 55 year old would be a perfect candidate to come to Nepal and or work wherever they are yeah. to do cool, something yeah. cool. Like, I mean, if you're if you're able, like the the beauty of being 19. 18, when this started, is that I didn't have debt, I didn't have a mortgage, I didn't have children or or responsibility in the sense, right? And so if you're a 55-year-old that finds yourself in that situation, awesome. But yeah, I think serving on boards is incredible. It's an incredible way to give. Um, Volunteering for an organization with a mission and a vision that you believe in um, is is an incredible way to give. I believe in the power of philanthropy and channeling resources into a mission and a cause that you believe in. If you don't, if you're not that person that wants to do the doing and you do want to, you know, kick your feet back, you've, you've worked really hard. Maybe you have grandchildren you want to raise. That's fine too. (laughs) Um, But yeah, there's so many cool nonprofit causes and, Uh, mission-driven, purpose-driven organizations out there making real change at the helm of it all. So I think finding that thing that makes you tick. For me, it was children breaking rocks in a riverbed. Um, For other people, it might be the whales or animal rights or plastic or the environment um, or homelessness. I mean, there's so many things.
0: So really, it's a it's a your thought is that it's not any harder. I mean, yes, it's a, you're a little unbridled when you're 18 and you don't have any real your responsibility <laughs> stack is pretty low. And you're 55; it's a higher stack. You might have kids and they're college, and you've got a mortgage, but it doesn't mean that you can't explore any sort of thing that could end up give some something philanthropic that could lead you to your next your life's next great purpose you just don't know what it is today I think that's the message I'm getting from you is that we we don't know when it's going to hit us over the head and we have to do it's you've got to start to getting you got to get in the river to explore figure out your favorite part of it it may take a little while you get downstream but I think it's about just getting involved to your point
1: yeah dig in take the first step Find that thing that you are passionate about, that injustice that you see, that thing that makes you, that change that you want to see in the world for your children, your grandchildren. How do you want to leave this world better? And then take that one step. Maybe it's contributing $5. Maybe it's calling up an organization and seeing where it's possible to volunteer. Like, it's more simple than I think you think? We make because it. I think we get scared about the world and we give up. <laughs> i like, oh, there's too many problems of the world. I don't even know where to start. And The I problems are
0: just- too big for me to solve. But to your point, if you go back to the riverbed, you weren't going to solve the whole world's problems of Nepal. You were just going to help this one. You were going to help Hema. And you were going to help this little girl in orange dress that just was... Mm -hmm. sadly breaking rocks in a dry riverbed. And then it, and then it bloomed and blossomed from there.
1: And it was radical generosity that helped it bloom and blossom. It wasn't me alone. It was the local community. It was people from around the world investing and believing and agreeing and aligning with that mission and working along my side. I was just one piece of the puzzle Um, It it took thousands of people being like, I'll give her $10, I'll give her $5,000. I'll give, you know, and then it took building a board of experts. I, I knew that I couldn't do enough alone, and that I needed a board of directors, I needed other experts in the field, I had to learn from other models. And it went from just me alone to a whole collective and i think there's a huge power in that like we are a human family we can work to solve these problems together it wasn't just me it was so many people i couldn't do what i do without my board without mentors without looking at other models and learning from other blueprints so find find that thing for yourself i think F- everybody needs to just find it's a collective of people doing good things for the world will change the world. And that when there's no wonder, enough, the world will
0: change. No wonder you're CNN hero of the year. No wonder you got that. I'm, I, I vote for you.
2: Hey y'all, it's Mallory Boggs, a producer for the Retire Sooner podcast. From an investment standpoint, the world is changing. We've gone from no inflation to hyperinflation, zero interest rates to much higher interest rates. All of this changes the dynamics for stocks and bonds. So the question for you, are your retirement accounts ready for it? Have you adapted your investments for these major shifts? Do you know what kind of income your 401k account is gonna pay you in retirement? If not, maybe it's time for a new perspective. The Retire Sooner team is here to help. If you're ready to talk, reach out to our team and we'll help you take a closer look at how you can generate income in retirement and protect yourself from inflation. We'd love to hear from you. Again, find us at westmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S dot com.
0: Can you tell us about Between, uh, Between mm-hmm. the Mountain and the Sky? And it's a story about you as a mom. And oh, just give our audience a, a sneak peek of that so that they'll go buy um, the book.
1: Thank you. It is a memoir. It is about... A Girl, Coming of Age. I think it's a great book for young people. I think it's a great book for people to find their thing. Um, But it's written from my perspective and kind of the issues and the stories that I saw in Nepal and what made me want to move there and try to change things. It's about hope and keeping hope. It's a lot of love stories in there. Um, Yeah, it's great. It's a good book. I hope people...
0: (laughs) It's an amazing book. How long did it take? How long have you been working on it?
1: So like I said, at the beginning, I've been journaling and writing stories about the issues and the things that I saw since I was 18, but putting it all. And I diaried all through motherhood, all through growing up being in my twenties and into my thirties. And when COVID hit, um, you know, things got really quiet and as you know, things got really scary and uh, I had a few months uh, in North America where I was like, okay, if I don't do this now, I'm like, never going to do it. So we put it all together. And-
0: how did COVID impact Nepal and like like a, a village in Nepal? How is that impacted by COVID?
1: It was devastating for Nepal. Um, Nepal's economy relies entirely on remittances and migrant work and daily wage labor and so Nepal in the beginning of COVID found its way to a food crisis and those living in poverty. I mean, this has hugely disproportionately affected the poor, the, mm-hmm. the, those folks living on less than a dollar, $2 and 50 cents a day.
0: So did COVID, itself, did COVID itself, the virus was that in itself, devastating was all the other impact of the world, you know, it was a, it ended up impacting food and, and the economy was worse. Which one was worse?
1: I think a good combination of both, Um, you know, there wasn't a lot of medical infrastructure to help those suffering from COVID, but I think overall in impoverished nations, we're going to be looking at a backslide at hunger, at education. We've had 300 million children in the world out of school for 18 months plus. Um, And school is the safe haven for children and we have a lot of children who will not go back to school. We've had increased rates of violence against women. We've had increased rates of child marriage. We've had increased rates of child labor because mm. um, that's what happens when you pause an economy and things stop. So I, I think it was a combination of both. The Delta variant was very devastating for the South Asian continent in general, India, and. Um, but it was so many things stopping the economy was also really harmful
0: gosh it is I, it is it's, it's crazy i didn't realize it was that many children and that that's worldwide 300 million so it's the whole pop the size mm-hmm. of the population of the united states are kids that are not going to school
1: yeah this is the been- and many of them
0: may not go back
1: yeah, and, you know, like, it wasn't like kids in Nepal could hop on Zoom classroom. There's not electricity in homes. You don't have tablets. You don't have – we were, like, writing packets and distributing them with food kits. School lunch, for example, is huge for, for children who struggle with food security.
0: So, so Maggie, did you did you legally adopt all the 50-plus kids? Was it legal or – legally adopt or did you
1: now uh, currently our organization as a collective has legal custody over the children and we work in partnership with the women um children's welfare entities of the government in the beginning it was uh me (laughs) like solely but there was a lot of gray lines like international adoption had closed off i didn't have nepali citizenship um so we formed an NGO, and through that NGO, um, me and the NGO had custody of the children. And it's changed as Nepal put its policies and, and uh, structures in place. Um, but I became a mom because the kids started calling me mom. Mm. <laughs> and that was unexpected. I, I was just yes. like, oh, I'm going to help some kids. And, and then, then you became a mom. that took on yeah. a life of its own, yeah. Can you
0: give me a, a just a, a just out of curiosity? It's hard to even visualize what a normal like just a a day of waking up in a village in Nepal is like. I mean, do, you don't have electricity, or do you? Do you, where do you get food? Do, what what is your house like? Can you just give our audience a one minute overview of a day in the life in a, in a village?
1: Yeah, well, we have power a lot of the time. We also have solar panels. We wake up in the morning. The Aunties and uncles and kids are on breakfast duty. We all have breakfast together. There's kids like skateboarding by, biking, <laughs> playing marbles in the side yard, <laughs> flying. What do you eat? Side.
0: What's for breakfast? What do you eat?
1: Usually, like oatmeal, or there's this Nepali um, South Asian cereal called suji, bananas, fruit. And then the kids get ready to go f- to school, and it's this madness of school uniforms and combing of hair and brushing of teeth and then we go to the kids go to our school and kids from the whole community uh, come in for the school the school is absolutely beautiful um, yeah and at night they come yeah in the evening they come back they all do their homework it's kind of just A regular family, though, I would say.
0: Like a giant family, though. A
1: regular giant family. Just a family. Like that was how it was designed was to be a family and a commune of sorts. But everybody together. But a childhood just like any other childhood
0: sounds magical it almost sounds like it It sounds magical it sounds like the next Disney film actually
1: it's I always say it's where you would want your child to be raised it's where you'd want your kid to go to school your little brother your little sister it's it's about I think the next era of development and changing of the world will be achieving quality you know we can't just keep going and building schools we can't just keep going and like scratching the surface. We have to go deeper and we have to look at quality. We have to create hospitals that you'd want your mother to go to. We have to create schools that you'd want your child to go to because every child deserves quality standards.
0: Can you tell the audience just a little bit about Blink Now?
1: So the Blink Now Foundation has a vision of creating a world where every child is safe and educated and loved. And We set out to empower Nepal's children and through empowering children we believe that we can change the world and we consult with other organizations as well who want to do this work and um, are a place for every child in the region to come to when they've lost everything yeah
0: and blink now we could just find online and we can support your your organization just through that right i
1: love that blinknow.org or anyone can email me maggie at blinknow.org if you do want to get involved if you want to work with children if you want to contribute in any way reach out we'd love that and you can follow us on social media too we're all over the social media (laughs)
0: oh yeah what are you I, i i yeah i found you on instagram what is your favorite
1: um, I mean, I think Instagram is my favorite right now, but I, I need what is to get your
0: Instagram. Podcast. What is your Instagram ham- handle?
1: I'm Maggie Doyne. Um, and we're on, our organization is on is blink now, blink now yeah. org.
0: Blink now org. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Maggie Doyne, I feel like, uh, when you think about somebody who's done all the amazing things you've done, it's almost like. That's what you, if you want to go to Harvard, you say, oh, well, you've got to go sc- start a school in Nepal, Wait, <laughs> just like Maggie did. If you're going to get into college, you got to go start a orphanage in Nepal, which you actually did that, but then you chose not even go to school. So, uh, mm-hmm. right? You never, you, did you ever end up going to college? Where were you going to go to college?
1: I don't know, like Boston College, one of those preppy. <laughs> I didn't know. I really wanted to go to like Wake Forest or BC or BU or I don't know, Villanova, Bucknell, like, I don't know. That's where every I just wanted to go there because that's where everyone was going. Sure,
0: yeah. You would end up in like a sorority at Bucknell. Meanwhile, (laughs) instead, instead you just decided to change the world. So I think it's a good choice. Uh, And I think an inspiration here to explore for our audience is to figure it's, you're not gonna, you don't have to go, do something as dramatic and, and life changing as Maggie did. But I think if we understand that we will find we if we're looking for it and we're open to it, then we will find it and it will find us. And that is that purpose we're all searching for, is that next level of what can we give to make life better for all of us. So I think that I think you helped us with that today, Maggie. So thank you.
2: Thank you. information.